on on 2FM. Sponsored by Dove Men Plus Care. Upgrade to Dove Men Advanced Deodorant and Body Wash. Let the confidence last. Game on. Weeknights from 6. On 2FM. Yes, you're very welcome along to a Game On special here on 2FM. It is Friday, December 29th. And given the time of year, today we've decided to reflect on a momentous year for Irish women's football as it played out here on 2FM. The Republic of Ireland's first appearance at the FIFA Women's World Cup in Australia and New Zealand was the focal point of a year gone by for the girls in green. And this evening, we'll bring you some of the highs for the first corner of the match, which goes to Ireland on their right-hand side to be swung in by Katie McCabe. It's a real tester! It's gone in! It's gone in! Katie McCabe! In the fourth minute, a delicious delivery. It's Canada nil, Ireland won. What about that scoreline? Oh my God, what have I just seen? And we'll bring you some of the lows. What was happening under Verif? Um, I think a group of players that were destined for success came together at the right time. From my position as a pretty experienced player, I don't think it was up to the standard of expected at an international level. And I think the results and performances that we got were in spite of Eric being our coach. As well as bringing you the many other moments to remember from a statement year for the girls in green. That is all between now and 7pm here on Game On. Game On on 2FM. So if we take it back to the early part of the year and the anticipation was building as then Irish manager Vera Pau stepped up preparations with training camps and pre-tournament friendlies against strong opposition like USA, like Germany and France. We'll hear from Centurion Irish defender Anya O'Gorman very shortly as she looked ahead to the World Cup with us here on Game On all the way back in March. But first, here is RTE soccer correspondent Tony O'Donoghue catching up with Vera at an Irish training camp in Marbella Back in February. Vera, we're here in, in Spain, part of the, uh, the camp, as you begin your serious preparation for the World Cup. Uh, good weather, but you're here to work, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. We, um, I think the players uh, can enjoy the weather a bit more than we do because it's a lot of work. But it's the best place to prepare because uh, it's not too hot, but it's nice weather. We can relax, it's calm and we have uh, very good opponents here. Talk to me about some of the, the new players. This makes your job more difficult though, doesn't it? The yes. girls that have got you to the World Cup, yeah. uh, who have been loyal to you and to Ireland, of course, uh, some of them may well miss out to a, to a new player. Yes, um, and the, the biggest... How do you deal with that as a manager? Oh, that's very hard. It's very difficult. And uh, um, I, I promise Ireland that I only make the decisions, the final decisions, to include them if they really make the team stronger. Uh, because the loyalty to the ones who qualified is huge. Um, but it is elite sport um, and the players also know that. And anything that makes a team really stronger, um, that helps. Are you and the players um, <coughs> feeling the support from Ireland? Now, I noticed that you were in Donegal, for example, you've been around the country more. Yeah. And are you feeling the, the, I guess, the joy that people have in, in, in your success? Yeah, I was just um, explaining yesterday to, to a few of my staff members. In the Netherlands, we had the same kind of vibe when we for the first time qualified for the European Championship in 2009 and we went on to the semi-finals. Um, <coughs> England knocked us out four minutes before the end of extra time, so it was huge vibe also. But here in Ireland, it's somehow so much 
deeper, so much deeper in the in in, in the belly that that we feel it. Um, in in the Netherlands, it was everybody was delighted, were delighted for us and, and celebrate. But here, this is so much pride. Everybody is so proud of of us, and and that pushes us to higher heights because we feel the responsibility not only to ourselves or football, but we want to make the nation proud. And and all the girls are part of that, and they all yeah they all feel that. Game on football. Obviously, Ireland have qualified for World Cup. Anya, did you ever think? you'd be in a position where you would see soccer growing like this in the girls' game? Um, Ruby, I think I always thought it could happen, but did I think it would happen in my time? Probably not. And obviously it was always a, a dream as soon as you start putting on the green shirt that you go and represent your country in a major tournament. And obviously to, to qualify for the World Cup is, is pretty special. Look, you said you're in Abbastown tonight waiting to, or going out on a home base training session. What is the tension like? Only 22 of you can get in that plane to Australia. Is it all friendly and camaraderie or is it people fighting for places? Look, off the pitch, we obviously all have good team togetherness, a good team bond, and I think that's what has gotten us to where we are now, that, you know, them extra 1% when, when the going gets tough, that togetherness um, shines true. We have great passion and pride, obviously, playing it in the green shirt. But, look, everyone's supportive of each other on the pitch and everyone wants to do well. But, yeah, obviously, there's probably a little bit of individual pressure to perform and, and make sure you're on the plane to Australia. Shingard's essential at training sessions. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> I know, Shay, that's a bit too far. <laughs> so that was Anya O'Gorman speaking in March. Let's fast forward now to the summer and Ireland's home game before departing for Australia. A match against France in Tallis Stadium was all set to focus the public's gaze on the World Cup ahead. However, a major distraction emerged in the form of an investigative piece written by The Athletic and our own Marie Crow takes up the story with Tony O'Donoghue. Tony, before we get into the French and how impressive they could potentially be, I want to talk to you about Vera Pau. So over the last couple of days, she has hit the headlines again. She featured in an athletic article that once again detailed the um, relationship she had with some of the Houston Dash players and the negative spotlight that they shone on her. Um, She's been accused in the broad sense of mistreating players, but she has very much denied that. You were at the press conference today, Tony. How did this play out? Yeah, uh, she has denied any allegations made against her previously in in December, of course. But this uh, rather lengthy article, I think it was seven and a half thousand words. Uh, the journalist from the Athletic talked to uh, seven former staff and players. There were three staff and and four players, uh, and there was uh, further allegations, which uh, once again, as you say, uh, Vera Post strenuously denied. Now, I spoke to her in the team hotel yesterday. And she had said at that stage that she wasn't going to uh, say anything. She wasn't going to address it because she said, you know, um, the the more you the more you speak about it, the more it's it's in the it's in the public agenda. And I will never win for a lie, she said. Um, but today, you could say she she came out fighting again because she she did state her um, case. I think it's the, the same uh, story as uh, in December. Um, it is um, something of pure anonymous players, and how can you defend yourself uh, against a lie? Um, I decided to read out one um, comment that I received. It, it is from the Netherlands. Um, it's from Barbara Baren. She is the key person who wrote about all the abuse in gymnastics, and she sent me this yesterday. I've translated it, and I've asked her if I could use it. 
I don't put my hands in the fire for anyone, but for you and your pedagogically responsible interaction with players, I do that 100%. I know from so many players how important you are or have been for them inside and outside the pitch. You go beyond everything to choose the best for a person. Everyone can learn something from that. You can't defend yourself against a lie. And that's all I want to say. We are going to uh, a World Cup. We have done phenomenally with this team, and we have never been able to do that if our bond with each other would have been so strong and so positive. And so that's all I want to say. Katie, can I ask you, from a, as a captain and from the player's point of view, your reaction? Of course, it's a, a real negative distraction, but we've got a massive four or five weeks ahead of us in Australia, and for us, yes, of course, it's a lot of external noise, but our fully focus is on these next two weeks um, and keeping together as a, as a group. Tony, so just before we finish up on it, in general, like what's the, the mood around the camp? You're, you know, you're very familiar with how uh, they operate at this stage. Well, as Katie left the stage today, uh, the, the podium where she was uh, hosting the, the press conference, she said, uh, th- thanks for asking us about the World Cup, guys. Now, it was, it was men and women reporters in, in the room. Uh, but it was almost like, you know, uh, we're talking about this and not what we should be celebrating. Mm-hmm. And I think it is, uh, I, I can imagine that this is what the players are, are talking about over dinner tonight. This is what the players are talking about in the hotel. This has been hanging over the preparations in the last few days since the the new allegations emerged uh, like something of a shroud. So that was the mood music off the pitch. But after coming through that farewell match against France and Tala in early July, Vera Pell's squad departed for Australia. Here's Katie McCabe speaking to RTE's Paulo Flynn before boarding the plane, taking her to the Republic of Ireland's first Women's World Cup appearance. What does it mean to you personally to have achieved this World Cup dream to be heading off to Australia with the Irish team? I don't think I've achieved it yet. I think once we, we kick off that first game against Australia, then it'll really sink in and that we're actually playing in a, a tournament. Um, we've still got two weeks of preparation to go before that first game. And, um, yeah, for me, I think not until the, the, the tournament actually kicks off, I'll, I'll probably feel it. Do you have that tingle of anticipation at 80,000 sellout in Sydney, first game of the World Cup? Yeah, look, it's, it's so exciting, right? Um, Luckily, in the last kind of season um, and year, women's game has, has grown massively um, and playing in front of those types of crowds, even back in May, 50, uh, 60,000 at the Emirates with, with Ars on the Champions League semi-final. So it's something that I'm uh, getting used to, which is obviously a great thing. Um, and I've no doubt all our Irish fans down there will be uh, singing loud and proud for us. Finally, what are your dreams for the World Cup? To win it. <laughs> Well, that was a confident Katie McCabe setting standards, as always, ahead of Ireland's campaign down under. Turn the world. The FIFA Women's World Cup 2023. Live on RTE 2FM. Stay with us here on 2FM as after the break, we will continue our look back on 2023 for Irish women's football. Game on on 2FM. Now you're very welcome back to a Game On special. We're looking back on how the year gone by played out for Irish women's football here on 2FM. Game On Football. Now let's just jump right into match day one of the FIFA Women's World Cup here on 2FM as Jennifer Zamparelli and Marie Crowe were live from Temple Oak United in the Roadcaster on the morning the Republic of Ireland took on the host nation in Stadium Australia in Sydney. 
turn the world. The FIFA Women's World Cup 2023. Live on RTE 2FM. Love, Hannah Lang, 2FM. Good morning, my friends. Now the FIFA Women's World Cup gets underway in just under two hours with the Irish women taking on co-host Australia. RTE News uh, journalist Samantha Libreri is on the ground in Sydney and joins us now. Samantha, good morning. Good evening. Oh, <laughs> how, how are you? And there's a big screen in front of me here in Stadium Australia, which tells me it's one hour, 53 minutes and 18 seconds to kick off. Um, can we talk about what happened at the, the Friendly last week? Yeah, I mean, it was behind closed doors, so none of the media were allowed inside. So it's all secondhand information. And when it's behind closed doors, you can also use as many subs as you want. So you can use your first 11 players and then take them all off. And that had been the plan until the 20th minute when Denise O'Sullivan had her contact with one of the players. And, you know, we were told that this was um, an overly physical game and Ireland asked for it to be called off. Now, you heard afterwards that the Colombians kind of, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of the appropriate <laughs> word for radio, but they downplayed what had happened. Um, there was a, a, a video leaked of one of their players calling Ireland little girls and using a word that we can't use on the radio at this moment. And um, yeah, so after that, they were asked about it in um, a couple of press conferences and they seemed to want to park and move on from it. Then the footage of the incident emerged and people were saying, was it really as bad as it was made out to be? But Denise O'Sullivan was taken to hospital. There was concern. She mm -hmm. is one of our really key players. She plays in the United States. She's, you know, one of the, you know, most experienced players in this squad and crucial to this game tonight. So the idea is she that she fit to play? play, she is. The team came from Brisbane to Sydney just yesterday. They came through the airport. You might have seen the lovely scenes of all mm -hmm. the Irish here greeting them. And they confirmed at a press conference just after that that Denise is fit to play. Tell me about the fans now. You must have met a few uh, knocking around. How are they feeling? Are they excited? What's the vibe? It's pretty amazing, actually. And yesterday I was going up to the airport to see the, the team come in from Brisbane into Sydney. There was a guy there dressed as St. Patrick, high five in each of the players. The players were coming out filming the stuff themselves and you could see that they were kind of taken aback I don't think they were expecting that kind of welcome um, I'm not sure if any other of the teams would have gotten that kind of welcome into Sydney airport um, but it was a really lovely start and what struck me about it was there was only about maybe 100 200 people there but the atmosphere and the noise that they created and I just think you know if there's thousands or tens of thousands in this stadium tonight in that same capacity well then you know there's a real potential to um to take it over the here FIFA Women's World Cup. 2023. Live on RTE 2 FM. 2 FM to a very special programme as we build up to Ireland's first appearance at a Women's World Cup. In just over five minutes, they are going to take on Australia and we couldn't be any more excited about it. We are coming live from the Roadcaster in Temple Oak United, surrounded by fans of this Ireland team. And just as I'm speaking, the Ireland women's team are walking out through the tunnel on to the pitch in Sydney in front of 82,000 people. Katie McCabe looks in the zone. She is fully focused on the task in hand. Courtney Brosnan follows her and it is an amazing scene seeing the excitement, the build up, the ball being picked up and history about to be made. Alan Colley and Rebecca Cray are with me. Alan, this is one of those pinch me moments. Yeah, it's absolutely incredible. Look at those scenes, Marie. Um, and for the girls, I just seen even as they're walking out Marissa Sheva was the last one out and there was a big deep breath from her just as she left the tunnel uh, what a moment for them historical historical moment for the nation as well What does it mean to somebody like you Rebecca who's worn that green jersey? Yeah you'll, you'll have me in tears soon Marie <laughs> um, Yeah look it's, 
it's amazing. And obviously being here at Temple Oak where I started my, my female journey, you know, um, Katie started her female journey in football here. It's fantastic. And look, it's I'm watching those girls there and I'm actually genuinely nearly close to tears. I know you are too. So that's the build-up over. Let's jump into the action of the Republic of Ireland's first ever Women's World Cup match. Here in the world, the FIFA Women's World Cup 2023. Live on RTE2 FM. time for talking is over the moment it is upon us and we're going to cross over to Australia once again to our big match commentary team of Claire Shine and Adrian Eames. Good evening from the city of Sydney live from the iconic stadium Australia it will be the host nation the co-host Australia to get us underway in the first half playing from left to right. You know, that's what Ireland's strengths are. We're compact, we're in position all the time. We know what we want to do. And that's what Australia are trying to do. They're trying to pull us out of position quick and early. Um, but we're doing really well too. And here goes Ellie Carpenter down the right-hand side, delivers the cross, stopped away by Louise Quinn. And once again, the crowd are really getting behind Australia. On halfway, now Katie McCabe trying to slide it through for Shiva. And Marissa Shiva now. In the wide left position to deliver the cross, inviting ball in. Mackenzie Arnold at full stretch, the Australian goalkeeper, and it's eventually defended by Catley at the back post, just content to knock the ball away. Well, that was a rare drive inside Australian territory for the Republic of Ireland. You know, this is what dreams are made of, and these girls can definitely hear them. And um, yeah, you know they're. They're getting right behind them and, and the second half is when we're going to need them the most. So, yeah, I hope they just get even louder. Back to Kyra Cooney Cross who delivers the cross. Australia looking for a penalty. And the referee has appointed to the spot. Marissa Shiva protests. Hayley Russell went down inside the area. Well, a big call here made by the official. And it's a penalty to Australia. This to give... The Australians a 1-0 lead after Hayley Russell was taken down inside the area. She felt the contact down, she went, and the penalty is stroked home, and Australia go in front. Upstanding Australia, Steph Patley makes absolutely no mistake. Look at the watch, tells us we're in the 51st minute. Ireland have it, an opportunity now. Robbie Larkin, the pullback, Katie McCabe is there, puts it onto her right, and the poked effort is saved by Mackenzie Arnold. Was that the moment for Ireland? Oh, will one of them just go into the back of the net? And the referee sounds her whistle, it's all over. It's been valiant from the Republic of Ireland, but Australia have claimed victory. Echo Claire Shine's words. Will one of them not just go into the back of the net? Let's hear from uh, Ireland manager Vera Pau and indeed Ireland captain Katie McCabe. It's very disappointing. Uh, we said at halftime this is a game that will be decided on one mistake, whether it's them or us, uh, and that's what happened. It was very unfortunate. It was a penalty, would you say? I don't know. I haven't seen it uh, on, on the bench. I was more busy with what's happening uh, over there. I have to re- review it. I don't know. You know probably better. It looked like more a, a tangle, a coming together of legs rather than a push as such. But one mistake, as you say, and changed the game. It was tight as you expected, but Ireland brought the storm. 
Yeah, and I'm very proud of that. Um, we brought on uh, Abby and Lucy and uh, they to, to get more pressure forward, uh, to have fresh legs there. Um, and uh, they came on very, very well. At the end, as you see, we could put more pressure on them um, uh, with Louise up front. And uh, yeah, that, that you need to have a little bit of luck. Did you feel when you saw the team sheet and Sam Kerr wasn't going to be on it, that would offer you some advantage? Of course, uh, Sam Kerr is one of, of the major top strikers of the world, so she not playing, of course, it was an advantage for us. But it was difficult to play against them, but I think that we've done so well, they, they, didn't, make, they didn't create a, a lot of chances, right? And what can you do to lift them now? Do you think you can get more out of them in the games against Canada and Nigeria? Um, yeah, uh, I think that um, a draw would have been a, a, a reasonable result, but we, of course that doesn't count. Um, so I think everybody is proud that uh, we have showed that we're part of the top nations and uh, that we can only grow from this. Yeah, look, this is the top level now. Um, we know when, if we make mistakes, we'll be punished at this level. Um, but there's absolutely lots of positives to take from it. Um, I think we got the ball in, in nice wide areas, got crossed in the box um, and tried to pick up on a lot of second phase. Um, so yeah, of course we want to improve. Um, our final third entries um, and getting shots, across, uh, shots away at goal but yeah we'll be looking to recover now um, and then push on for, for Canada So that was Ireland's first group game out of the way in Sydney onwards to Perth with Canada the opposition before the match here on 2FM Tracy Clifford sampled the mood amongst Irish fans as the roadcaster set up shop at Sword Celtic the FIFA Women's World Cup 2023 live on RTE 2FM so we are live from Sword Celtic FC today with all of the girls and boys ready to cheer on Ireland versus Canada and we're here with the head coach Sandra Harvey. Hello. Hi. Thank you so much for today. The atmosphere is amazing, Sandra, isn't it? Oh, it is. It's brilliant. It's a real buzz around the club, absolutely for the boys and the girls to cheer on the girls in green today. So, yeah, big day for us here. Now, you are instrumental in setting up girls football here at Sword Celtic. Yeah, yeah, I am. We're, we're a big team around me, but yeah, about five years ago, we set up the girls section and um, we started off with about four girls and now we've about 150. Can I hear you girls? Yeah! Amazing. And tell me, like since uh, the Ireland's football team has qualified, have you seen like a bigger uptake and girls want to take part in sports? Yeah, totally. Like we had a watch party for one of the qualifiers and we'd only half the people that are here today. Um, and I'd say since we qualified for the World Cup, I we get a phone call once or twice a week, new girls coming. So we've over 150 and the calls are still coming. So Sword Celtic's open for business. As many girls as possible. We're the best club around, aren't we, in Fingal? Yeah! yeah. And Sandra, I know you a long time now because I didn't realise that you were actually going to be here today. We went to school together and I remember when we were in school, you were capped for Ireland under 16s. Yeah, I was, yeah. Feels like a long time ago now, Tracy, when we were in school. And do you remember when we were in school, like not a lot of people loved football. No, um, it was myself and yourself, Tracy, that were the only girls that knew about football, that talked about football. Um, yeah, so there wasn't as many, but um, it was great. We, we had the school football team together as well. So, yeah, it's built, built, you know, year on year, girls' football has got more more popular. And, it's yeah, it's brilliant. It's thri thriving. And thanks to the girls in green over in Australia doing us proud. That's the big thing, isn't it? It's going to inspire us all. So, girls, who's going to win today? Ah! 
And what's your name? Nico. And who's your favourite player? Hidden McCabe. Amazing. What's your name? Mia. And who's your favourite player? Jamie Finn. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> what's your name? I love your outfit, by the way. You've got the wig, the face paint, the feather boa. What's your name? Chloe. And who's your favourite player? Katie McCabe. Fantastic. Can I get a big all? Come on, you girls in green. Really, really loud, because I think we need them to hear you down in Australia. One, two, three. Fantastic. Sandra, head coach here for the girls team here at Sword Celtic FC. Thank you so much. We're going to chat to you in just a few moments' time as well. Girls, thank you. Well, as for the match itself against Olympic champions Canada, it certainly gave us an Irish moment to remember early on, as witnessed by Claire Shine alongside Adrian Eames. For the first corner of the match, which goes to Ireland on their right-hand side to be swung in by Katie McCabe. It's a real tester. It's gone in. It's gone in, Katie McCabe, in the fourth minute, a delicious delivery, it's Canada nil, Ireland won, what about that scoreline? Oh my god, what have I just seen, Katie McCabe, you know her name is just written in the stars right now, what a delivery, we just said beforehand she can put in some serious ball into the box, and it just drifted straight into the top corner. Oh my God, this is incredible start for Ireland. Ireland's first ever World Cup goal scored by Ireland's captain, Katie McCabe. Goal 21 of her international career. And that one is sweet. So, so sweet. What a start for Ireland in Perth. As the rain pours down, Ireland in front. Ireland in the driving seat early on, a long, long way to go but they've given themselves something to hang on to here against the Olympic champions. Ireland won up. However, Canada got their breaks either side of half-time to change the complexion of the match and Ireland's World Cup fortunes. Stepping away, the ball is driven into the area. Megan Connolly, oh, it's got in! Well, the attempt at clearance, it was a bit of a nothing ball, but it fizzed off the ground and Megan Connolly at full stretch may have got something on it, but right on the stroke of half-time, Canada have got a break here. This is what we've been saying. These are the moments we cannot concede going in at half time. So hard. And now the ball played into the penalty here. A big chance here. And it's knocked into the back of the net. And Canada lead by two goals to one. Adriana Leon inside the area. And Ireland, well, they were in front in the fourth minute. But Canada have turned this game on its head. And they now lead by two goals to one. I've said it, you know, just before half-time. The five minutes before half-time, the five minutes after half-time, I know it's just after that, but they're the most crucial moments in the game, and we're after conceding twice in, in that ten minutes, and it's just really deep, unfortunate deep in stoppage we time, Almost off. seven minutes of additional time now played here in the rectangular stadium in Perth. Vera Pau watches on. Caelan Sheridan bounces the ball, and the referee has blown the full-time whistle, and with it... Ireland's World Cup aspirations come to an end. A second successive loss for the Republic of Ireland. Canada get the three points and Ireland bow out. Canada, who trailed after that early goal for the corner kick through Katie McCabe, have won here by two goals to one. Listen, there's no way of shying away from it. If you watch the match, if you've seen any of the images of the players after the game, it's utter devastation. And that's evident uh, in the reaction we're going to hear now. After the game, Adrian spoke to Denise O'Sullivan. Denise, uh, it must be heartbreaking, is it? Yeah, I've no words. Um, very proud of the girls. Left everything out there. It just wasn't our night, unfortunately. 
And we made such a great start, the early goal, the corner, Katie and big Irish crowd. It just looked like it was going to be one of those nights. Yeah, yeah, it did. Once the first goal went in, the crowd really got behind us. They were absolutely unbelievable tonight, so I want to thank them. But um, yeah, it just slipped away from us in the end and yeah, we're, we're gutted to be going home. It was a right old battle, wasn't it, in the second half, trying to find that equalising goal, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, it was. We changed the formation a bit to try to get forward a bit more, but no matter what, I don't think the ball was going in the back of the net um, in the last 10 minutes. So, yeah, um, we got to keep our heads up. we got one more game to go against Nigeria. Um, so we want to go out and get the win in that game. Is this giving you the appetite to go again, you know, the, just the taste of this kind of tournament football? Yeah, 100%. It's um, been an unbelievable experience here with the girls and, um, yeah, we're, we'll refocus and get ready for the next game. And you're all in a huddle at the end, Denise. What was said or what could be said? Um, just said that Vera said she's very proud of everyone. Same with Katie. Said the same thing. We gave her everything, but it was our first tournament and um, we should be proud of it, but we're highly disappointed. So that was the reaction of the Irish camp. But what about the Irish fans? Samantha Libreri captured this after the match. Hi, I'm Hannah Caskin, I'm from Corona Nackel and um, yeah, very frustrating. Look, we were in it to win it really. The support was absolutely outstanding, you know, like it was absolutely brilliant to see the players, I suppose, appreciating that. And I really hope they understand how much they mean to us by being here at this tournament. And I really hope they know how proud we are of them for playing in this tournament and making it as fair as they did. And, you know, I think they can sense that the amount of people that have came up and supported them and even came out from Ireland that supported them and even here, it, it means so much to everyone. And even those at home, you have young girls aspiring to be them and then you have, you know, previous generations who paved the pathway to be here. And there are so many people that put in a lot of hard work to get the girls to where they are today. And I think they really need to understand how proud we are of them. How old are you? I'm 17. <laughs> so there'll be a few more World Cups, do you think, that you'll see in your time? Oh, 100%. This team is going so far. Like, there's so much yet to come from this team that we haven't seen. And this is the most excited I've ever been for this squad. And there's so much yet to come. And um, will your dad be bringing you to those? I know you, you had to convince him to bring you to this World Cup. Will, he, will you be working on him for the next ones to come and the other tournaments that lie ahead? Oh, 100%. College might be out the question now at this stage. <laughs> but um, no, like this trip was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. You have to take these things while you can. And you know, supporting the squad around the world, that's why they mean so much to us. Um, but hopefully we'll see so many more Euros and so many more World Cups and we'll follow them anywhere to see them play. Meanwhile, it was on to Brisbane to face Nigeria in our final group match. During that week, Tonya Dunhill sat down with Katie McCabe. What would you do differently? What are the learnings? It's hard to pinpoint that right now. It's something I'll review personally post-tournaments when the dust settles and the craziness of it all. Yeah, there's so much that you can learn from day to day, you know, to, to understand what can we do better, what went well. Why did this work? And obviously that's the role of the, the management as well to, to do that. And the FAI have been absolutely brilliant since being here as well. And they've supported us in kind of whatever we, we've needed to. If there are things that we do need going forward, yeah, I can honestly say that we've, we've got such a good dialogue with the FAI now that our voices will be heard, which is obviously a great thing. 25 days ago when we sat down before the tournament, uh, that was followed by the, the pre-match against France. And I think you were a bit annoyed that people we're talking about Vera and the allegations against her and not the World Cup coming up. Yeah, Do you I, think that was a distraction? It wasn't um, ideal. I was quite annoyed in the press conference 
and I don't normally let myself get that because I like to think I'm a happier person or smiley person than that and to be in the press conference and how eerie it was I didn't like the feeling I didn't expect that to be the feeling going into our first ever send-off game to a World Cup and I, I think that's what frustrated me the most. And as for the match itself, a nil-all draw with Nigeria rounded out Ireland's campaign and you would think not much a report on the pitch until one matter was raised in the post-match press conference. Oh, hi Vera, Dave Kelly, Irish Independent. And just in terms of the strategy from the bench, maybe if you could, if you could explain it compared to um, last week, two different games obviously, but if you can maybe just explain that, it seems um, Katie McKay was quite vociferous in trying to get some changes onto the, onto the field, but they, they seem to have come much later than uh, the last game, probably different circumstances. Why would we change? That, that's why I'm asking you the question. I don't yeah. know what the if Katie McKay are. says that she yeah. wants to change, it doesn't mean she's not the coach, yeah? Um, everybody was doing so well. So I said, what do you want, Katie, taking the best player off? No. <laughs> but that, um, a player a player is allowed to be emotional and players allowed to, to say that. That's fine. But um, I, during the game, I do a step back and I analyze. And uh, we make changes the moment that it's uh, necessary. Uh, Vera Gavin Komsky from the Irish Times. Just to, just to confirm there, so your captain, Katie McCabe, asked you to make changes and you refused. Is that correct? Fair no, comment? No, <laughs> no, because a, a, a player doesn't ask and you refuse. A player can ask always, but as a coach, it's not a refusal. As a coach, you make decisions on what is necessary. A player can say everything to a coach, at least to me. What did she say? That she wanted, that she wanted uh, fresh legs, yeah, and on her side. And, w and why didn't you make that change? Because everybody was doing so well. Sinead uh, Farrelly was arguably the best player on the pitch at that moment, so I was not prepared to take the best player off. Fear Pau speaking to the media after today's game and the story went on a little bit after that. Katie McCabe uh, tweeted the emoji with the zip across its mouth and we haven't heard anything since from anybody. Katie's reaction has definitely shone even more of a spotlight on it. For her, Rebecca, I know that you know her. She is the captain of Ireland though and now we here we are a few hours post-match and the conversation very quickly has moved on from Ireland coming home from the World Cup with the point to what's the relationship like between the Republic of Ireland manager and the Republic of Ireland captain? Was it the right thing to do to send out that tweet, do you think? Um, I'm maybe on not. the spot I, now. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I think it's probably an emotionally charged tweet. You know, I, mm. I know there's probably, there's been a lot of baggage, you know, that's come in the last six months with, with Vera. You know, she's kind of said a few things. There's obviously things that have followed mm. her. Um, you know, I don't think she's even left the stadium when she she actually gave that interview herself. So uh, there's a time and place, um, mm. you know, and didn't need to be said there. And then, you know, if she did or didn't say it, um, I won't go too much into it. But yeah, I I just think it's a it's a case that look, I think Katie's probably frustrated with the way the whole you know World Cup was approached in terms of you know questions that were posed to them before you know they they left for, for yeah. Australia and and she addressed that actually on yeah. the, the telly yesterday no definitely you can see a frustration I think it's probably coming to a bit of a head now that everything's kind of you know done and, and mm -hmm. finished um I don't know what Vera's approach is I don't know if it's just the case she's coming out swinging now you know the fact that maybe she's not going to continue with the FAI I don't know that again 
I just don't know what what way the the FAI are approaching it because we haven't heard too much about no, it we either. No. You know, so yeah, it'd be be interesting to see how it goes. But look, it's I think it was just a time and place for, yeah. for that kind of for, comment from everybody. From everybody, yeah, yeah. from yeah. everybody. All, I would say, yeah, 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 because um, nobody wants this sour ending no. to a World Cup, and it's nobody... been so positive. Yeah, other than that, you know, yeah. on the pitch. Game on, football. Stay with us here on 2FM as after the break we will continue our look back on 2023 for Irish women's football. Game on on 2FM. Now you're very welcome back to a Game On special. We're looking back on how the year gone by played out for Irish women's football here on 2FM. Game on football. So let's fast forward to September and following the FAI's decision not to offer Vera Pau a new contract as Irish manager, she sat down with Tony O'Donoghue. Well, everybody knows that the bond between me and the players was, was so good and there was space for friction and there was space for uh, discussion and there was space for joy and there was space for laughter. Um, but now I've, I just felt the players drifting away um, in, um, in their, their, their looks to me and in the way that they were dealing with it. And I found out that behind my back all things were happening. Do you feel, do you feel betrayed? Yes, I felt betrayed, yeah. yeah. The players were asked so many times in the various press uh, opportunities um, to give you backing, or they were asked about their attitude towards you, and they declined to give that backing. I'm sure it was difficult for them, I have to say, yeah. but nonetheless, how did that make you feel? So, um, one player was really upset about how her remarks were put in the, in the press. Um, so I went to her because I was told that she was really upset because she just said what she had to say. And, uh, and I said, listen, I know how you feel about me. Don't worry. I know what's happening here. Um, I beg you, don't worry. It doesn't touch me because I know how you feel about me. I found out that it was said that I was rigid in, in my philosophy and old-fashioned, whereas this program is the most progressive and advanced program that, that you can do. And I don't know any coach who's, who's dealing with it like that. But um, I was actually told to put weightlifting and box-to-box running in because the players wanted that. Whereas I know that that will harm the players if you put that next to the program that, that we do. Have you ever been called rigid before? Is there something about your personality you feel that might be um, controlling? Well, I, I have studied for 35 years and experienced for 35 years and I have been building this program for 35 years. Um, it's not that it's always been the same and I don't want different. It's so different now than it was in South Africa and, and before that. It's been developing and developing and I've introduced all new things into that program to make it better and better and better. And that, therefore, the effect has been so good. You have had, since the news, uh, goodwill wishes from some players. Yeah, yeah. And um, from, from several players, from more players, uh, but not from all. And can I ask you about your relationship with the captain now? Have you spoken to her since the World Cup? Yes, but can I, can I please um, answer also on, on not going to social media? I understand there's such a difficult position. They've not asked for this. They have not asked for this. So I do not blame them to not do that because they need to go on either with me or with another coach. How, how can people expect that from them um, with all the tensions and all the, all the issues that, that were there? 
I, I don't blame them at all. I understand that and I hope that everybody um, understands it too because they don't deserve this. Uh, Katie? Katie, after a week we've spoken for over an hour with each other and uh, we are absolutely fine with each other um, and also she admitted that the tensions were so high and that it was the first time and I admitted that for me it was very difficult in, in that situation. Um, so I hope, I've seen a lot on, on Twitter um, uh, regarding Katie, I hope that stops now because it's a young woman um, who made a mistake, I've made mistakes, everybody makes mistakes um, and she should not be held accountable for that because in any team there's explosive players and how many times do you not see male players shouting at their male coach? Katie is absolutely fine and I love Katie and without spark no fire and without fire no performance and Katie gives us so much. Meanwhile, the Girls in Green's year wasn't over yet. With a UEFA Nations League campaign to tackle under interim manager Eileen Gleeson, attention shifted to an historic match against Northern Ireland in the Aviva Stadium. The first time our women's national team had played there. However, the summer gone by did emerge again under comments by Irish defensive stalwart Diane Caldwell. I think there were many areas that could have been better, yes, under her tenure. I think our preparation for games could have been better. Um, physical preparation, uh, opponent analysis, um, match tactics, um, in-game match tactics, changes, uh, systems of play. Um. What was happening under Verif? Um, I think a group of players that were destined for success came together at the right time. From my position as a pretty experienced player, I don't think it was up to the standard of expected at an international level. And I think the results and performances that we got were in spite of Vera being our coach. Yeah, we approached her many times um, about professionalising many aspects. Um, but it was, it was hard to get change. And, you know, she obviously made myself a part of the leadership group that she created, along with a few other players. So she gave us that position to use our voice and, and to try to uh, talk on behalf of the team. And I think we tried to do that as a group the best that we could. But obviously, at the end of the day, she is the coach and she controls everything. And you only can say and try to change so much. Again, I think it was just uh, an accumulation of everything. And over a long time, you know, after the European campaign, myself and Katie also reflected um, through doctor at the time about certain aspects of things that need to be improved and changed um, but ultimately that fell on deaf ears and she got a contract extension yeah i'm very happy that there's change um, it gives us all kind of a new lease of life um, there's a new beginning and like i said with the the changes that the fai has made with the new roles it just shows intent standards are going to be raised uh, they've, they've listened to the stakeholders involved in this team and realised that these girls are good, but we actually can be even getting more out of them. And we, they can even be performing at a higher level and achieving more success than, than what they have been. You know, we put ourselves under tremendous scrutiny by threatening strike action. I think that was the most pressure we've ever felt as a group. 
because it was us out on the pitch. We had to go out there and back up what, everything we were asking for. So I think it's a little bit like that, you know, and I think we've grown as well with that pressure since that period of time. And now we've backed it up at results. We've, we've shown that we can contest with the best and um, that gives you an inner belief and an ability to deal with those expectations and those pressures. People not in the know will find it hard to understand uh, and see it from our point of view, but um, you know, you know, knowledge is your wealth, you know. And uh, if you don't know these things, I think it's probably uh, wrong to speak out and to to give your opinion on things that you maybe don't have a full understanding of. Diane Caldwell, they're certainly pulling no punches on the Vera era in Irish football, but on with the action and a winning winter for Ireland. Here's a flavour of the goals that led to promotion from Group B1 in the UEFA Women's Nations League. UEFA Nations League on 2FM. football in Ireland. There's over 25,000 in attendance, 36,000 could say for this game. Oh, what a goal! It's an absolute stunner from long range. About 25 metres out, left-footed, high into the top corner. And the Republic of Ireland 2-0, but it's an absolute thunderbolt from Kenny McCain. Well, she tends to score spectacular goals, and that's yet... Sullivan in the penalty area. Here's a chance for Ash Ryland. Oh, yes. Sullivan! She scored! A little one-two. And the Albanian players drop to the ground. And they cannot believe that they couldn't hold out in the 88th minute. A little one-two inside the penalty area. And O'Sullivan scores her second goal in the Nations League. It's her 20th in 109 international. The Corkboard player from North Carolina coverage has given Ireland the lead. And that could be the goal that guarantees that they will be playing in Group A of the uh, Nations League uh, next week. Off to Megan Connolly, Ireland Republic probing once again. Katie McCabe drifting in off the left flank and still going. McCabe up towards the edge of the area, gets a shot away. Oh, it's another spectacular goal from Katie McCabe. It's a fourth for the Republic of Ireland. Well, she was allowed to travel some distance, cut inside from the left into a central position and let fly. And it's 4 0. Katie McCabe gets on target for the Republic. UEFA Nations League on 2FM. Now, a very happy Eileen Gleeson who concludes her campaign with maximum points on a very special night in Windsor Park. And now she's with Tony O'Donoghue. Eileen, congratulations. 100% record. What did you say to them at the end in that huddle? Because it looked like a really special moment. I said I was. Oh, I've never been prouder in my life. That's what I said. And I was like six from six. I mean, what a year, Tony. 2023, World Cup qualification, promotion to League A, six from six, 20 goals. You know, only two against, multiple goal scorers, scoring from different areas. I think, you know, it's the future is bright and there's real potential and it's exciting. And what a year for Irish women's football. Can anything top this for you personally, though? 
Not in this moment, not right now. So, you know, I love the girls. I love Irish football. I always have. I've been involved in it for 30 years. So to be involved tonight, I mean, it's pretty special. And I'm super proud of all the team, the staff, the work that goes on. You know, from the staff to maximise the performance is absolutely incredible. So this is not a single person's job. This is a whole interdisciplinary team who have been amazing and we're seeing the outputs tonight. UEFA Nations League on 2FM. So that was 2023 for Irish women's football. And in recent days, we got word of a new manager for the Republic of Ireland women's degrees. national team. UFM Sports. Sponsored by Dove Men Plus Care. Upgrade to Dove Men Advanced Deodorant and Body Wash. Let the confidence last. Eileen Gleeson has been named as the new permanent head coach of the Republic of Ireland women's team after a highly successful spell as interim head coach, leading Ireland to six wins out of six and promotion to League A of the European Nations League. That success also means that uh, they will be uh, one of the top seeds for the Euro 2025 qualifiers, which begin in April, with Ireland now guaranteed a place in the playoffs, no matter how they fare in that group. Gleeson takes over from Vera Pau, who departed as manager at the end of August after the FAI made the decision not to extend her contract beyond the World Cup. Gleeson, who previously served as POWs number two for a time, insisted initially that she had no interest in the post beyond the UEFA Nations League campaign. She had been working as the FEI's head of women's and girls football. So, the that was 2023 for Irish women's football. Promising year to come for Ireland in the UEFA Nations League Group A, plus the qualifying campaign for Euro 2025. And we'll be right here on 2FM in January to do it all again.